25 seconds left to play. You're listening to the Matt Wyatt Show. I want winners. This crowd is alive. Play to win the game. Wyatt from the shotgun, two backs alongside. Knock him out, John. Wyatt gets the ball. It won't be long. Wyatt back to throw. Wyatt looks. Fires toward the end zone. Passes. Caught for touchdown by Matthew Butler. Speak to. They are who we thought they were. And we let them up the hook. I get out of hand. Just, just tell me I'm a jerk and shut up. Let's go scatter the West right tight. That's left. 372 Y sticks. He's The Matt Wyatt Show. He's Radio Wyatt. Well, how am I going to go to college? I'll just play football. And turn my mic on. What's up? Thursday out here. How y'all are on a Thursday? I'm Matt in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau, go! With the home team at Farm Bureau. Staying connected to you around the clock because of C Spire. Not just during the show when it's live or when you're listening, however you're listening, but all around the clock. That's right. Uploading, posting, downloading, streaming, everything, videoing. It's all because of C Spire and what I can hold in my hand. Right here, my iPhone from C Spire. And I've always got a connection. Some stuff uh, from Media Days popped it up on Twitter and on the Facebook page. If you want to see that, follow me on Twitter, at Radio Wyatt. And the Facebook page is also Radio Wyatt. Look it up. Um, well, plenty of ways for you to be a part of the show and going to get into some of that. You can text. People have been texting. After we were talking about throwing the ball versus running the ball and kind of the importance of which and this and that, uh, unnamed texter said, so would you say the key to winning consistent football is A, great defense, B, being able to run the football? Yeah, that's it. Which, you know, those things are, we're kind of qualifying it, but I think the overall thing is just physicality. You know, if that's a great way to put it, talking with Chuck Oliver this week at SEC Media Days, it's the one sport where you're legally Allowed to put your hands on the other guy and move them around physically. It's my strength, brute strength, and brutality versus yours. And if I can whip you in that way, then we're just going to win. And you know that's why recruiting is easier to predict success in football than other sports. It's why, in a lot of ways. In, in, in most of the games in college football, it's a lot easier to pick the winner. Now, picking the score is tough. It's a lot easier to pick the winners in college football than it is in the NFL. Because you have so many matchups where the physical part of it is easy to see who's got the advantage. And it doesn't matter which way the ball bounces if physically I'm just stronger than you. You know, that kind of thing. So defense... Playing defense and winning the line of scrimmage and then being able to run the ball speaks to the heart of it all, the physicality of the game. If you're not winning that physical battle or can't, you have to figure out other ways to do it much harder. You got to use tricks and then you got to throw the ball and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, appreciate your text. We'll get to some more of it also. The Divinity Equipment phone line is 995 1059. It's a 601 number. And Chicken Hawk's over there hanging on. Chicken Hawk, what about this cake Roger was telling me about? 
First off, man, you didn't come to me right. I can't say nothing until you come to me right. But we just did it. You just didn't hear it. We played the chicken hawk sound. Oh, you did? Okay, well, look in here. I got a couple of bones to pick with you, Bubba. Uh-huh. And uh, look, now, here's the thing about the cake. I, I asked, now, you you can take it up with the other three, because I asked, uh, when would you be in studio? And uh-huh. uh, now, they didn't know what was coming. I just told them I had a surprise. For about a week there, I kept them in limbo. And uh, they said, well, you don't never know. Sometime, you maybe once a month, but there ain't no telling, so... Oh, uh, you don't have to worry about Matt. So <laughs> I'm gonna take care. I'm gonna take care of you during the season. All right. Because I have some very special up there where we tailgate at. I'm not gonna say it right now because you know that other te- that other radio sh- uh, uh company that me and you used to be with. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. when I was on there with uh, the other fella, pretty regular that I was on there with, because they had a broad footprint. Then uh, people would hear me talk, and they'd come up, want autographs and pictures and all kind of stuff. Uh-huh. So I'll have to tell you when the season comes to get you to come over to the tailgate. I'm going to turn you on to some stuff. Good friend of mine, just like that good friend of mine, Patricia Pendergrass, that made that cake. I got a good fellow of mine down here, Corey Nelson, down here at uh, Pineville, Mississippi, makes some of the best deer sauces you'll make. And he got a new kind he made last year. Nobody's ever tasted up there. They thought that I had the best it ever been, but he got some pineapple, cheese, and maple. Mm-hmm. Dude, that pineapple and cheese was pretty good. But uh, then he just got fake cheese and maple, so I'm going to turn you on some of that. None of them other crackers over there you work with is going to get on that, all right? All right. Sounds good to me. I appreciate now, it. Now, now, Bob Tell, here's the bone I got to pick with you. Okay. Last week, Man, I'm steadily calling. I'm about to throw my phone down and drop ticket, man, you know, like a field goal and doing all kind of stuff. And, and I'm calling every kind of way I can call, upside down, inside out, round and round, whatever. Then I find out, I, I got to listen a little bit better. I'm thinking like, that sounds like I done heard that, you know, which my memory ain't very long anymore. I said, I thought I done heard that. Then I called Beaver and asked Beaver what was up with you. And Beaver said you were laid up like a coon on a limb down there on the beach. <laughs> and you was on vacation. And I was, you know, and I thought, uh-huh. <laughs> I said, well, I'll get back if this cracker head for doing that. So hey, you messed listen, me up that bad. Well, and I it, didn't call during. It, huh? it, here's the truth of it, though, okay? Right, no, I was on the beach. And I was doing a new radio show every day. It was just recording it in the mornings instead of being on live. So it was all new stuff. It wasn't a repeat. It just wasn't where you could actually call me during the taping of the show. How about that? Well, look at here. Now, there was one show there. You sure it wasn't no repeat? Well, I don't know. I don't think so. It wasn't. Well, you know, my head, you know, like I say. I thinking about the morning show. Oh, now you got your volume back up. That's a lot better. I don't know what happened. The volume just dropped out on this ceasefire phone that I got. I do got ceasefire, and I love them. But but look here. Let me ask you this question. Now, you got the uh, Lou Bell finally. She finally heard the chicken hawk squall, and uh, that's why I popped into a tear because something happened to my body. Can I have some music to go before that and then the chicken hawk call? Let me give you the music I want. What do you want? Yeah, put in a request. I'd love to know. Okay. Because... 
Uh, well, cause you know that I'm uh, I'll, I'll tickets out to California, right. out to LA for you cheer for you cheering up the school up north. That's not Lower Alabama. That's Los Angeles, California. <laughs> and I'd haul it out there and bring it back to Hotland and then back over here to Forest, Mississippi, you know, mm-hmm. and done that for 23 years. So I want you to lead in with I went to Phoenix, Arizona, all the way to Tacoma, Philadelphia, Atlanta, LA, and then. Okay. You know, that's probably the most specific radio uh, music request that we've gotten in a long time. But I, I think we can make it happen. I really do. And I think I think it's right on target. Yeah, yeah, because that's where I went. You know, I went to all them places and stuff. So, uh, you know, but look here, I forgot the most important thing. Is that Super Tramp? Who did that? <laughs> Super Tramp. Man, uh, Eagles, I think. Oh, Wasn't okay. that the Eagles? Oh, okay. Yeah, You're talking about a different song than I was thinking. Huh? Well, you know, it says, I went to Phoenix, Arizona, all the way to Tacoma, Philadelphia, Atlanta, L.A., Southern California, where the girls are warm. And I heard the sweet baby say, yeah, that's keep the Eagles. on rocking me, baby. That's it. Rocking, 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 rocking. You know hey, what I'm saying there, brother? I, I'm going to tell what? you what. I, it doesn't, you know, the Bible says just, you know, make a joyful noise. Right? That's the Steve Miller yeah. band. That's a, oh, it's the Steve Miller band. Yeah, well, you yeah, know, was, close uh, enough. Yeah. Oh, that was Steve Miller. Well, hey, hey, but that's a, I one of those bands, one of the long hair bands, man. <laughs> well, All just right. now it was the chicken. It was the chicken band. It just done it just now. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to save that for, for posterity. Yeah. Chicken Hawk, listen. Okay, yeah. All I want to say yeah. is, all I want to say is, I appreciate the phone call, uh, albeit a long one. It was worth it, and I appreciate you singing <laughs> for us. And next time you call, we'll make it happen. And I'm looking forward to the sausage, man. I appreciate you. Well, I'll see you, you know, during the tailgate. Man, who right. fails that ever gained them. So I'll let you know. But Hell State, see. See you. Hell State. Fluffy Bottoms on the text line, 885-ESPN. He says if Chicken Hawk gets a song, he wants it to be I've Been Everywhere by Johnny Cash. That's a good the one. Chicken Truck by John Anderson. That's a good one. What about, um, you know, the one, is, is anybody going to San Antonio or Phoenix, Arizona? Which one Charlie is Charlie Pride. There you go. Charlie Pride singing about going to San Antonio or Phoenix, Arizona, and the fact that Charlie Pride is a Mississippian. I think that's what we'll go with. It's not exactly what he requested, but I'll make an executive decision on that. Because I, I don't know a bigger Charlie Pride fan than me, and it's my show. So I think that's what we ought to do, Roger. I was listening to Roland, Mississippi the other day. It's very nostalgic. Isn't it great? Yeah. It is a great song. True Maroon is laughing and crying at Chicken Hawk singing on the text line. All right. Uh, Fluffy Bottoms also tweeted me, and Roger, I just thought you might want to take a glance at it. It's on my Twitter feed, at Radio Wyatt. He sent a, I think I retweeted it so everyone could see it, He sent a picture, Super Bowl twenty, a celebration of MVPs, and there they are. And so his tweet said, here's a poster from Super Bowl twenty with all the Super Bowl MVPs from the first 20 years. How many of them can you name? And here's the ones I got. On the first row, Franco Harris, Lynn Swan, Terry Bradshaw from the Steelers. 
Larry Zonka, number 39 for the Miami Dolphins with his mustache there, got his hand on the ground. But there are two Dallas Cowboys on either end of the first row there. They look like linemen, number 79, number 54, who I don't know. Is 54 Randy White? But 79, I wouldn't know. All right, back row standing up, left to right. Joe, um, Broadway Joe. Mm-hmm. There he is, Broadway Joe of the Jets, a former Alabama Crimson Tide star. You know, who had the moment he wanted to kiss Susie Colbert on Monday Night Football. He was drunk. <laughs> Joe Namath. Standing next to Marcus Allen of the Raiders. Standing next to John Riggins of the Redskins. And then there's a player back there kind of hidden. You can't see his number. Then number 16 for the Raiders is Jim Plunkett, the QB. Number 15 for the Packers is Bart Starr. God rest his soul. Passed away recently. Number 12 for the Cowboys. That'd be Staubach standing back there. Number 16 for the Chiefs. That's going to be Lynn Dawson, right? Number 16 for the 49ers. We all know that's Joe Montana. And then the last two on the right, back-to-back. Number 13 for, I don't know who it is. I don't know who that is. And then 25 for the Raiders. What was his name, the receiver for the Raiders? What was his name? The surfer guy. You know, the long hair and a mustache. But anyway, I can get most of them, Fluffy. There you go. I got most of them without having to look them up. But yeah, okay. And it looks like somebody texted in and said that number 79 for the Cowboys front left would have been Bob Lilly. If y'all know the names of the guys on the back right, y'all send them to me on the text line 885-YES-BOLITNIKOV. Fred Bolitnikov, thank you. That's who it is. Number 25 for the Raiders. That, but but 13 standing next to him in that picture, I can't see. There's a guy standing in the back middle I can't see, but we got most of them. So I'm, I'm kind of proud of that. Y'all want any more uh, SEC Media Days coverage or are you bored with it? Honestly, like I mean, tell me. I got stuff from Joe Moorhead. Here's what I want you to hear. Here's what I want you to hear from Joe Moorhead. This was a comment I think he was asked about expectations. This was brought up on our show previously this week, but this is what he said yesterday standing up there in his own words, Joe Moorhead, about expectations last year. What do you think about this? I think like anything, a year's worth of time, you learn things. And, you know, you've got to be really introspective, I think, as a leader, and you've got to look in the mirror and not out the window. And people ask, what was the thing that you've learned the most? And probably, you know, outside of kind of, learning about the team or X's and O's or, or specific uh, things that relate to game performance. You know, I look back at, at a year's time and really kind of when I took the job is, uh, you know, I, I'm not saying I'm changing what our goals are, but the approach of coming off the plane, guns blazing, you know, uh, talking about, you know, ring sizes and Heisman trophies and, you know, what the, and, and the 
um, expectation level of the team entering the season, you know, prior to me even getting there. And I, and, I, and I think what I did with that, without knowing kind of the history and the context of how difficult it is to, to win in this league, and specifically Mississippi State, where there's two 10-win seasons in, in school history, and uh, you know, two two championship appearances, one in '98 and one before World War World War II in '41, and I, I think what I may have may have done is elevated the expectation level to a point where nothing that we did short of a championship was going to make people happy. And, and, I, and I wouldn't have changed the goals, but I probably would have kept it a little bit more in-house because I, I think that was on me. And then, you know, people would, you know, then it became, well, you're underachieving. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. We're, we stood here last year and we were picked to finish third in the conference. We finished fourth. And if Texas A&M hadn't beat LSU, we'd have been third. We were picked to finish 18th in the AP poll. And our college football playoff ranking was 16. And, you know, ESPN puts out the over-under stuff. And, you know, it was eight and a half, and we had eight. So I, I think me kind of doing some of those things early on may not have been fair to the guys because anything that we did may not, have, may not have been good enough. So that's one thing that I learned that, you know, I, I probably should have researched a little bit more into our team, who we were, and what we were capable of doing from a historical context. But start, started talking about ring sizes and other things like that. Okay, what do you think about that comment from Joe Moorhead about you know the the talking about expectations and everything before playing, and that was after getting the job a year ago. Um, it did become public. You know, he said, you know, the players to some of the players, what's your ring size?" It became public because that's when he met Jeffrey Simmons and some of those guys when he got off the plane. There was a big crowd of people there to welcome him. You know, upon the hiring including some players, and people overheard that. You had cameras there, and he says, what's your ring size? You know, that kind of thing. It also became public that he was, I think he said to Nick Fitzgerald in a phone conversation to make room on his mantle for a Heisman Trophy. You know, those kinds of things. And so when you're not a a long-time head coach, experienced one, then maybe you don't know as well that yeah, nothing's private and nothing's taken lightly. In fact, everything a lot of times that you say is taken too far. So an experienced head coach is probably going to know, and he's learning now that you know you say things like that, regardless of how you feel or what reality is in your gut, your heart. You may really think we got a chance to go win the whole thing, but when you say it, it it, it sometimes is perceived differently than than the way you want it to be. So maybe that's part of it. But having said all of that, I didn't have one single problem with this new coach coming in and taking over that team and as a first-year you know, Division I head coach throwing out their big expectations. What's wrong with that? I mean, what's a coach supposed to do when he first gets the job? Not talk about championships? Winning one? What's he supposed to do? Talk about how it's going to take five years? Ten years? I didn't have one problem with it at all. Or any coach for that matter. I think you gotta have you gotta have high expectations. And I think what Joe's doing there is and he's always done that, and that is, man, he's just gonna tell you flat out. He he you can just tell, and I like this about him. It's it's definitely the way to go through life is to not give a flip 
about per, the perception of things, how things are perceived. That's definitely the way to go through life. <laughs> but you don't always get that with coaches, especially in public comments and answering questions. But he's always just said, here's the way it is. Who's on the phone, Roger? We got Joey. Joey, is that right? Yeah, Joey. Joey, a couple of minutes here. Appreciate you calling. What's up? Hey, Hey, Matt, I agree with you, and I don't want to change the context of what you're saying. That's fine. That's your stance. My stance, and I think where maybe some other people were upset, is logic tells me that that guy, including probably his own wife at his age, and we've probably all been told it, so we're reaching the point that we, we have to be accountable for popping off mm-hmm. because somebody has sat him down, and I don't mean being mean, in a loving, compassionate way and said, hey, the mouth of yours is going to get you in trouble. Mm-hmm. He's heard that before, and so now he doesn't get to back up and call this tongue in cheek. He's too old for that. I'm too old for that, Matt. And you, we're all reaching, the, you know, we're, we're way past 30 where our words have way more traction. And you're right. When you're in the public spotlight, they're even more so. Yeah. So I don't forgive him. He needs to come out and, and say, I, I said that. And, and I, his, his, his apology is too half-hearted. That's my only issue with it. Joey, you I need to be more serious about being wrong. Gotcha. I appreciate your call. Okay, man. Yeah, thank you for listening. Appreciate your call. I wondered how people would feel, about, would feel about it. You know, and I think there's two different ways. I, I lean towards, you know, what somebody says, I don't put a lot of weight into it. And I know I talk for a living, but what you do and what you're trying to do is a whole lot more weighty than what somebody says. So when somebody talks about championships or and heck, I like it. Put it, put that expectation way on out there. Let's see if you can hit it. It's better than the alternative. Got a text that says Joey needs to lighten up. Y'all hit me up. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Matt Wyatt Show. Back on the show. The Farm Bureau Studio. Farm Bureau. Go with the home team. They are your home team at Farm Bureau. Local agents, competitive rates, and friendly service. All right, you can be a part of the show. Divinity Equipment phone is wide open to you. Here is the number, 601-995-1059. One ring-a-dingy. Who we got, Roger? We got David. Good day, David. What's happening? Hey, man, how are you all today? I'm just right, as far as I know. One thing on uh, Moorhead, uh, I hope he's not as stubborn this year. When you only have a yard to go with the offensive line that State had last year, and then the 
inside the 10-yard line. You don't need but one or two yards. Why would you not go to two tight ends? Did he ever go to two tight ends last year? Well, I mean, there were some times, uh, but I'm trying to think. I'm on those in, in a couple of those goal I, I, line I situations. A time. Yeah. I can't yeah. recall one time where he went to two tight ends to get a yard or two yards. Yeah. You know, uh, David, the, the you know, the tight end or not, they had some goal line situations that they didn't punch it in last year. I'm trying to think. I know there was one home game. I couldn't remember which one, but I know there was also a road game. I think it was Kansas State. They had a goal line deal there where, <clears throat> you know, the quarterback kept getting stopped. And – I never did really uh, get a clear, concise picture on on how things are called versus how they were executed on that stuff because, you know, you'd have several plays in a row where your quarterback's in a shotgun on the goal line, we're snapping it to him, and then he's hesitating to, like, follow somebody or see a hole or whatever. And, you know, I I've, sometimes that works, but you got to mix it up. But more times than not, I don't necessarily. I didn't necessarily feel good about the idea that we're going to snap it five yards deep and then we're going to pause and then we're going to head for the goal line. When you got defensive fronts because their heels are in the end zone, are firing off on the snap of the ball, you know, um, right? Get going, but yeah, I don't know. I I think that there's the truth is, David. There's probably a whole lot of things that they learned um, last year that. You know, hopefully, uh, you do some things different going forward. Yeah. Okay, but I I, did, I I remember the Kansas State game, and there were several other games. They only needed one yard. Yeah. And there were a couple of times inside the five yard line, and mm-hmm. uh, they stayed in that three wide receiver set. And man, with the line and the backs that they had, uh, just line it up and go at them and get a yard. Yeah, that's it. You know, just kind of. I'm not being critical. I just, I just thought he was stubborn and stuck with his offense, and you know, he wasn't going to change his philosophy. But certain situations, this is the SEC. You don't have time to give the defense to react. You gotta, you gotta punch it in. You gotta, you gotta mock him in the mouth. That's exact. That's the thing about it is in this league, when, when you're in short yardage stuff, but especially goal line stuff, you know, you just don't have time. You can't give them time. It's got to develop and happen very quickly in the run game. And, and, you know, they're an 11 personnel team, and that means, you know, 11 is one and one um, back and tight end. So they're a single tight end team. And I remember back, you know, in the preseason, we talk about what kind of team and philosophy. Um, 11 personnel. They're going to have three receivers. Most of the time, and that did continue on the goal line. We'll see if it's any different this year. But I like your observation, David, and I appreciate your phone call. Thank you all. Thank you. Call anytime. I like talking football. It's a kind of an old school thing. And, you know, when you have a certain identity, a certain thing that you work on all the time, it's hard to go and, you know, and, and depart from that. I mean, you know, especially if you haven't practiced it, but. I would think there are a lot of things probably that we're going to see that will be little tweaks and little differences that are going to make them better going forward. Yeah. Pat on the text line says, I think this is two-part. Yeah, here we go. 
people are going to realize as much as we loved Fitzgerald. He hindered the offense last year. Hindered the offense last year simply because he didn't fit what we had to go with. Uh, many times Fitz should have handed the ball off instead of keeping it, and Fitz didn't have the short game accuracy. Um, yeah, I mean, there were a lot of times last year, too, where you know we'd see short throws, underneath throws, or taking the underneath route or the short route when they really were hoping the ball would get chunked down the field. So, you know, it's um, a lot of times that early in the year where they just didn't have any continuity in the pass game with what they were trying to do. Fitz was really struggling with it. And, um, well, they all were. Receivers and everybody were very confused. And so then you just look for somebody, the first white jersey you see, and you throw it at it. And that's a real freak-out moment. you got to avoid those in games. And you know, they started avoiding those more and more as the season went on. But by then, you know, you've got a couple of losses in your pocket that you – shouldn't have had against Kentucky and Florida because you just couldn't couldn't figure that offense out. They're going to be better on offense this year. Um, Kylan's back and better. You really need him to stay healthy. It's not that they don't have depth at running back. It's just he's a lot better. So you really need him to be healthy, and I think he'll be a kind of a, a centerpiece, if you will, of your offense this year. And so if that's the case, then you know maybe he gets the ball more on a goal line. Short yardage situations. It's not a quarterback running the ball, and, and that kind of thing. So I think they had some situations where, you know, a lot of times too, you're calling things, and quarterback's not on the same page with the coach, and a lot of that. It, it sounds like an excuse, but I think a lot of it probably does go back too to you know Fitz didn't really get to go through the contact stuff and the full stuff in the spring, and a little bit of it, but not a lot of it. You're not in the full 11-11 scrimmage action going through all those reads and stuff until in the fall. So it was just behind and just behind. And then the first SEC game where they kind of looked like a capable passing team was against Texas A&M. And what was that, late October? You know, so you're halfway through there. Pat said going back and watching film, there were a lot of wide-open receivers. You know, um... That's true. I mean, there are times there weren't, too. But, you know, and again, it's not like they were completely stag- stagnant throughout the year. It was just inconsistent. That's what it was. It wasn't the the constant threat week in, week out, where you give us certain throws, we're just going to hit it, we're going to move the chains, and you have to defend it always and think about it. Now, other stuff's working because of it. It's just you didn't have that. You didn't have that consistency. It's all there is to it. And that is what it's about. You know, I was thinking this week in one of the conversations I was having with somebody there at SEC Media Days. Now, I remember all those years Dan Mullen preaching this. He'd say it just about every year. Is playing quarterback is not about, and being good at it, is not about making the spectacular plays all the time. You know, nobody... Even the pros, they don't make the spectacular plays all the time. Being good at quarterback is about making the simple play and executing the easy play every single time. Like if you were to translate that thought process into your your job, you could do it. Whatever it is you do for a living, you know the little daily 
seemingly like meaningless tasks, but you think about those things, but you can think about it even in, you know, in your life and in your family. It's the consistency on all the little stuff. You think about like keeping a clean house. It's just every day, consistently good habits. Every single time you do the little things, the little thing goes in the trash, a little sweep in here, a little dusting there. You do that. You're always going to have a clean house. But if you stop doing the little things consistently, everything gets messy. I see where I've been going wrong. <laughs> it's a daily, it's, it's habitual, Roger. Stick around. At Ceasefire, we're happy you're happy. Back on the show, here we are. It's not only SEC Media Days this week, it's also ACC. Do you know they're having theirs also? Uh, you know, you heard earlier this week Chuck Oliver from the Chuck Oliver Show on this show. We talked to him on Radio Road just a couple days ago. You might have heard that. I looked up on Chuck's Twitter feed. I just saw him yesterday on Radio Row in Hoover. Today he's on Radio Row in like, I don't know where they're having it. Amelia Island, Jacksonville, somewhere like that on at ACC Media Day. So back to back. Big Ten, I, maybe Big Ten's having theirs because this comment's making the round out there on Twitter. How about this? Jim Harbaugh, Michigan, takes a swipe at Urban Meyer. Apparently, Jim Harbaugh said, everywhere that Urban Meyer's been, they've had a lot of success. But everywhere he's ever been, they've also had a lot of controversy. <laughs> and... You know, they say it was taking a backhanded us. compliment, isn't it? Well, it is, but is it not fact? I mean, that's the deal. Like, if it's factual, what are you going to say about it? Pretty funny. How do you take offense to something that is factual? Oh, people do. I mean, <laughs> Roger, the, think that's I, the worst thing. The truth is the worst thing to tell somebody. Some of these people, you're messing up their whole mindset. My attitude is I better make friends with the truth because I darn sure don't want it as an enemy. Right. It's a relentless enemy, the truth that is. So Hard I better to make keep up with the lies. Yeah. Well, and and the and the thing is, again, what kind of mindset, what kind of elitist mindset are you in if somebody's stating a fact, even if it's about you and even if it's uncomfortable? If it is true, you don't like it. They shouldn't have said it. I'm offended. I'm mad. Well, Urban Meyer didn't respond, and so maybe he's not mad. But, I mean, what's controversial? The way to do it. Just tell the truth. Let it rip, man. Let it fall. Maybe uncomfortable, but maybe it should be. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) How much of the troubles was he directly involved with, do you think? Well, a good bit of it, actually. When you say directly, I, I maybe a little softball over the plate for you. Yeah, and you know, directly is a word that kind of insinuates you got your hands right on it. I'm not sure he did. And with the Zach Smith stuff at Ohio State, he didn't have his hands right on it. I mean, it's not his. I mean, Urban Meyer didn't murder murder anybody. One of his former players did. You know, at Florida, that that sort of thing, but. 
Man, there's a lot of stuff in the wake. But is it, I, I guess I'm just, I'm still just kind of mulling over, okay, it's, so it's true, but is it fair? And, uh, and I'm, I'm, okay, I'm is you it, go, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, that's it, Roger. It's fair. If someone says everywhere he's been, he's had a lot of success, but everywhere he's been, he's had controversy too. I mean, I, that's fair. That's what I was. I was just the, wondering if there were any shade in there because, you know, of difference. Actually, for him yeah. being there, is it, is it fair to say that all the controversy was directly his his fault? But you're, yeah. you're going to give it the head coach is everything springs from that, like right. the uh, like the uh, NCAA says, mm-hmm. if he, even if he didn't know about it. Right. Yeah. It, that's it. I mean, as a head coach at any program, you're directly responsible. For every well, again, I said directly. You're you're indirectly responsible for everything. We've seen examples of that. There's there's no doubt. Sometimes there's nuance in reality, but perception doesn't really care about nuance very often. Morehead on the desk talking to the SEC Network folks. You know, you talk about the importance of the run game in this league. Obviously, you've been in the league for a yeah. year now, and you understand. I mean, every week you're going against a lot of draft picks. Of yeah. course, you defensively had three yourself yeah. first-rounders. But going back to the run game, you know, I was so impressed, Joe, at the beginning of the year with Kylan Hill. Then he got kind of banged up, you yeah. know, but I saw power. I saw great vision, great hands out of the backfield to catch a ball. Where is he health-wise, and how big is he going to be a factor in this now that you may have a dual threat quarterback as yeah. well. Yeah, Kylan, Kylan is very healthy. You know, he's weight down. He's around 215 pounds. Coach Bechet and his staff are doing a great job. And I think Kylan's entering year two with a lot more maturity and a lot more confidence. Right. Feels great about himself. Feels great about the system. And if you look at the backs that I've been fortunate to coach in this system, obviously Saquon, Miles Sanders, Chase Edmonds, who's now, you know, with the uh, Cardinals at Fordham, and even go back to Jordan Tobin at UConn, who was a nine-year pro, you know, Kylan has – as much ability yeah, as any of those good. guys. And, it, and it's not just when the ball's handed off. He could catch the ball out of the backfield. He's improved on his pass protection. You know, had he not been hurt last year, he'd have been a thousand yard rusher. So I think he's poised to make that breakout this year. You know, it, it's talking about the recruiting in all sincerity. It's amazing the job you were able to do coming in, yeah. Joe, not knowing anything, not knowing the lay of the land. Mississippi's different, yeah. right? The <laughs> SEC's different. It is. What'd you find out? Um, found out that. Uh, Mississippi is a unique place where you kind of go to some places. And I don't want to use the term over-recruited, but every stone's been unturned and you kind of know who the guys are. Mississippi's a place where there may be a school off of one of the two-lane highways. You make a right onto, onto a dirt road and there's a guy there that's, you know, no one's heard about. And, and I think the thing that we needed to do to be successful is kids in the Mississippi have a tremendous amount of pride in their home state schools, whether it be us or Ole Miss. Those high-level guys, you got to work your tail off to keep yeah. them home. Jaron Jones, Nathan Pickering, uh, Brandon Cunningham. But you've also got to do a great job identifying and evaluating. We have a kid from Peelahatchee, J.P. Purvis, you know, who played all quarterback in high school and, you know, recruiting him as a safety and he didn't have a, a, a ton of people recruiting him. But I think that's kind of the, until you get to that point and it's a chicken and egg thing where yeah. the winning and the facilities bring them in, I think you've got to identify them as That's well. Right. And I think we're obviously not a developmental program, but we've got to do a great job of combining highly recruited five-star, four-star guys with guys right. that you feel good about their potential and, sure. and de- bringing them in and developing them. A little bit of Joe Moorhead there. What do you think about that too, yeah, in regards to recruiting? Maybe sometimes a little different 
uh, every staff in Mississippi has always either found one or two, um, I guess you could call hidden gems. It's just under-recruited players who are really good and might need a position change. And there's also really think it in, in this day and time that if somebody's an outstanding player, they won't, they're not going to get posted video somewhere. Yeah. You know, even yeah. if, yeah, no matter what. Sure. You know, two lane highway. <laughs> I, that's it, man. I really do think also, though, he has something there. He's pointing out that that is a constant thing we're seeing more and more of is th- the best players at the high schools are playing quarterback. And then, you know, they're recruiting them as different positions. They're recruiting them for a position change. And it's hard to see that in recruiting. And I think that's another reason that, you know, maybe there's under-recruited or you're right, Roger, you're really not. It's hard to be undiscovered in 2019 in recruiting, but still like. Everybody's got a cell phone. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, if you're lighting it up. Well, you and, every, and everybody wants to discover something. Well, they do, but if you're lighting it up and you're, let's just say you're a tall, skinny athlete playing quarterback for your school and you don't throw it a whole lot, but you run the ball really well and all that, you spend half the game playing quarterback and on, you know, Bernardrick McKinney, okay, is an example of this. And there are examples of this every single year throughout this entire state. Bernardrick McKinney's playing for Tunica Rosa Ford High School, and he played quarterback because he's their best athlete, their best player. He was kind of tall, but he was skinny. He's playing quarterback. There is no film of Bernardrick McKinney playing defense. There is no high school film of him playing linebacker. So he's not recruited, nor would he ever be recruited as a quarterback. Yet they go up there and go, okay, this kid's their best athlete, so they're playing him at quarterback. He's six foot four. He's skinny, but he could probably carry 235 pounds. And at that size, he's a high four five, low four six guy. We've never even seen him play linebacker, but we're going to recruit him as a linebacker. And people thought they were crazy. And they go, man, State's out here signing two star linebackers. And what does he do? In three years, he's first team All SEC at 235 pounds. The next thing you know, drafted in the second round, and he's been a starting linebacker for the Houston Texans now for three straight years. <laughs> Yet in high school at Tunica Rosa Fort, he's playing quarterback. <laughs> you know, so there those examples are just all over the place. And it's not, that's not exclusive to Mississippi either. Those are everywhere where maybe small school, maybe not, midsize, whatever. But kid could project to play something else. Receiver, tight end, linebacker, put on weight and be a defensive end, a pass rusher. But he's out of position on his high school team because his high school team has to have that. So you don't have film of him doing this or that. And so, you know, that happens everywhere. The difference, Roger, is that you know Alabama doesn't have to recruit those guys, and that's why they don't. They don't have to fool with it. They'll just go find the best linebacker who's been playing linebacker for four years on a 6A school somewhere. And they can't really go wrong that way. If your state, it would behoove you to be in every single high school in Mississippi looking to see if there's that hidden player who's out of position but projects 
to maybe be something special if you change his position at the next level. Interesting conversation. All right, that's it for Thursday. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll do it again tomorrow. Same time, same place. See you then in the Farm Bureau studio. See you! You're listening to The Matt Wyatt Show.